This morning we're going to be in Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. If you have your Bible, I hope you'll uh, turn there. If you don't know where it is, it's right there between Genesis and Revelation. I, I'm, I don't pay much attention to baseball. Sorry. But I, but I love being around baseball fans because I, I find that, that baseball fans are eternally optimistic. You know, because baseball is such a game of, of statistics, it's such a game of averages. In baseball, there's, there's always hope and, and, and baseball fan finds a way to, to believe that it's gonna be better. So if it's, the, if it's the bottom of the ninth inning and there are two outs and, and we're trailing by one run, but the tying runs on third and the winning run is on second and, and all, all we need is one hit and we're gonna win the game. No matter who comes up to bat, baseball fan is excited. If the best hitter on the team comes up to bat as he strolls up to the plate, He's on a 20-game hitting streak. He's four for four in this game. And baseball fan is going to say, man, I'm, I'm so, we're going to win this game because he, he is so hot. I mean, he's got the hottest bat on the team. We're going to win this game because he, he's, he's a hot hitter. And they're, they're excited. And then if, if the worst batter strolls up to the plate, and he's 0 for 20, including three strikeouts and a lazy pop-up today. Baseball fan's gonna say, man, we're gonna win this game because he's due. <laughs> I mean, you, you can't go 0 forever, right? I mean, this is, this is the moment. So for, for, for baseball fan, it's like there's, there's always a reason to think it's gonna get better. There, there's always a reason to find hope. Well, we've, we've looked at, at three men in three passages of scripture the last three weeks. We looked at David and we saw that, that David really learned to trust God because he, he realized that God was all-knowing and, and all-powerful. We looked at, at Moses or at Isaiah and saw that Moses was, was willing to follow God because in God's greatness, he was gracious. And, and Isaiah learned that the gospel compelled him to follow. Then we looked at Moses and we saw that Moses trusted and followed by depending upon the sufficiency and the presence of God. And, and all three of those men are really wonderful examples for us. And God used them in fabulous ways, but every one of them had seasons of deep pain. Every one of them had, had seasons of fruitfulness, and barrenness. So what was it that gave them hope in every season? What compelled them to live, not with blind optimism, not looking at averages, but with real confidence that the best is yet to come because God has a plan. And as a result of that, persevere in their faith. And specifically for us, what is it about God that calls us 
and compels us to persevere in trusting and following Jesus with a sense of dependency when life and faith is really difficult. Well, for the answer to that, we want to look at a fourth man, and he is the prophet Jeremiah, and a part of his writings in Lamentations chapter 3. So let's see what, what he says, beginning in verse 21, Lamentations chapter 3. This is the eternal word of God. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So let, let's begin as we think about this passage by thinking about the setting of hope. Because this is a message of great hope, but the setting of this message is not one of happy land of health and, and wealth and prosperity. The, the setting of hope in Lamentations is one of sorrow and pain and confusion. About 1000 BC, King David had established Jerusalem as the permanent and glorious capital of Israel. And then his son Solomon had built the temple on Mount Zion so that Jerusalem became the centerpiece of all of life in Israel. And God preserved Jerusalem as the capital for 400 years. The kingdom divided and Jerusalem remained. The Northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians and Jerusalem remained. But the people of Judah and Jerusalem just continued to rebel with pride and idolatry. And so Lamentations 3.1, Jeremiah says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. So after all of these years, God was coming in judgment against Jerusalem and the instrument of his judgment was the Babylonians whose cruel and wicked um, atrocities were, were really too horrific for us to, to mention in this setting. But the Babylonians came and they laid siege to Jerusalem for, for two and a half years and they left the inhabitants totally broken from famine and, and plague. And then when the Babylonians finally entered into the city, they brought an orgy of destruction and death that left the walls, the city, the temple, and even the surrounding fields in smoldering ash and ruin and left the blood of the Israelites flowing in the streets of Jerusalem. It, it, was, it was a slaughter of epic proportions. And those who were not killed were shipped off as slaves to Babylon where they remained for 70 long, dreary years. So as the Israelites are, are being carried off into captivity, they, they look back at the once glorious capital of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, and, and they saw nothing but desolation and despair. In fact, in Lamentations 1, Jeremiah said that Jerusalem is like a comfortless widow. 
And those who are taken captive go down to Babylon and the Babylonians mock them for their faith. Our God has defeated your God. Why don't you sing the songs of Zion to us? And, and those slaves in Babylon, Psalm 137 says, so distraught and so discouraged that they, they hung their harps up into the trees and said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? This is, this is the setting of this message of hope. Lamentations means to weep. And Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because Lamentations is essentially a funeral message for Jerusalem in a time of sorrow and shame, humiliation and horror. And as Jeremiah looked at the promised land, as he looked at Jerusalem, as he looked at the temple, he saw a place that seemingly was completely abandoned by God. Now, when, when I was a kid, we didn't, we didn't have the internet, and so newspapers were still a really big thing, you know, and the Sunday paper was a big deal. I love the Sunday paper because after lunch, I, I'd read the comic strips. You with me? My favorite was Peanuts. And, uh, you know, in, in, in Peanuts, there's a, there's a theme that goes through several years of, of Snoopy writing a novel. And this one particular comic strip, Snoopy's sitting up on the top of his house with his typewriter and he's typing. It was a dark and stormy night. And Lucy comes walking by and she looks at what he's writing and she says, you, you dumb dog, don't you know that every good novel begins with once upon a time? And so the next frame, Snoopy types, once upon a time, it was a dark and stormy night. And then in his thought bubble, he says, you know what? Sometimes it's just a dark and stormy night. And so it was for Jeremiah and the people of Jerusalem. Now, listen, we're, we're not there. I don't think we're at that, that point, although some of you may be at that point of, of desperation and, and really discouragement. But we need to understand something, that trusting and following and depending upon the Lord does not mean that everything in life is going to be peachy. There are a lot of people who get their theology from country music. And so they listen to George Strait. On a lonely highway, stuck out in the rain. Darling, all I have to do is speak your name. The clouds roll back and the waters part. The sun starts shining in my heart for you. <laughs> and they think, you know what? Christian. <laughs> if the preaching thing doesn't work out. A lot of people think that Christianity is that way. They think I'm, I'm stuck out on a lonely highway and I'm standing in the rain. And if, if I can just figure out the way to say the name Jesus in the right way, then the clouds are going to roll back and everything's going to be sunshine and ice cream. And listen, it's not that way. It's not that way in the Bible and it's not that way in real life. The reality is that sometimes God does some of his most fruitful work in the soul of suffering. And yes, Jerusalem is facing hardship because of judgment against their sin. I understand that. But the Bible teaches us that even when we're walking closely with God, that does not eliminate suffering. 
In fact, Jesus said in John 16, 38 to his disciples, in this world, you will have tribulation. When, when Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4, 12, he said, brothers, don't be surprised if you are overtaken by a fiery trial as though that is something strange. Peter was saying that's, that's actually common. That's the norm when you're following Jesus. In fact, Paul said in Philippians 1, 29, that we're not just called to believe, we're called to suffer for his name's sake. Trusting and following Jesus may be painful. It may be puzzling. It may be problematic. One of my, one of my heroes in the faith is John Bunyan who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan spent more than 12 years in prison for doing what I'm doing right now. He was preaching the word of God and he was arrested. And because he refused to recant, because he would not say, I'll stop preaching, they put him in a jail. Now listen, Bunyan, he didn't suffer. He didn't, he wasn't tortured, but he's in a, he's in an overcrowded cell with no facilities for bathing. He, he received one fourth of a loaf of bread from the state every day. And that's all they gave him to eat. It, it, it is dark. There's no heat in the winter. He has four little children. He has a daughter who's blind. And when they would come to visit him, when they left, Bunyan wrote that it was like someone was pulling his flesh away from his bones. And for 12 years, he stayed in that jail. And this is what he wrote about his time there. He said, in times of affliction, we commonly meet with the sweetest experiences of the love of God. Jesus Christ was never more real to me than in prison. For there I have seen and felt him indeed. In the darkest, loneliest place, Bunyan said, the light of the hope of God shone brightest in his life. And this is the setting that Jeremiah is giving us. This is a deep, dark pit in which Jeremiah finds himself, but he says the light of hope shone in that deep, dark pit more brightly than he had ever known. So what is the source of that hope? We'll look at verse 24. He says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. When we, when we see the word portion, we should, we should think of possession or inheritance. So this is an odd thing, is it not? Because here's a man who doesn't have anything. So Jeremiah is saying, look, I have no land. I have no house. I have no city. I have no temple. But the one thing that I do have is the Lord. The Lord is the one possession that I have and he is enough. Now, Jeremiah had learned this from, from God himself in Jeremiah's prophecy in chapter nine. Listen to what God said to the people of Jerusalem through Jeremiah. He says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. 
Jeremiah recalls what God had said. And he said, when, when everything that could go wrong did, when everything that could be lost is lost, when everything that could be taken away was, what was left? When I had no strength, no more plans, no more money, no nothing, God was there and God was enough. God was the one source of hope. God was the one voice speaking into my life. Better days are ahead. And Jeremiah understood that was enough. Now, why is that? Well, look what he does for us. He creates kind of a sandwich. Two bookends in verse 21, he says, I have hope. And again, in, in verse 24, he says, I have hope. So what happens between those two bookends? Well, he tells us why. The source of his hope is God. And what compels him to hope in God? And he's gonna tell us three truths that are gonna show us why God is all that he needs in times of difficulty. So here's number one. He says that God is a God of eternal love. Look at verse 22, the first phrase. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That, that phrase, steadfast love, if you have something other than an ESV, probably says something else because all the translations translate it differently. Sometimes it's translated great love, sometimes faithful love, sometimes loving kindness, sometimes loving devotion. And, and that's because there's, there's no one English word that expresses the fullness of the Hebrew term that Jeremiah uses. But basically the word is focusing us on God's love and God's kindness and God's goodness in a covenantal sense. It is, it is that which moves God to establish relationships. It is that which moves God to make covenants and then extend those benefits to the people of that covenant on behalf of the covenant. So John tells us in 1 John 4.10, here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So what is John saying? The love of God moved him to action to establish a covenant with us. And so he sent his son and the Lord Jesus became the propitiation. He was the one who paid for our sins, who satisfied the justice of God so that we are brought into a relationship with God through faith in the finished work of Jesus. But then Paul echoes that. And in Romans 8.32, Paul says, what shall we say to these things? If, if God be for us, who can be against us? For if he offered up his son for us, will he not with him freely give us all things? In other words, Paul says, listen, if God was willing to establish a covenant with us by giving his son as a sacrifice for us, then wouldn't it make sense that he would extend all the benefits of that covenant to us? If God has done the hardest thing, of sending his son to be our savior, then everything that goes along with that, he's gonna give it to us. That's the covenantal love of God. And what, and what 
Jeremiah says is that covenantal love of God never ceases. So if we could think of a race, when we, we think of a race, if it's cars going around an oval or if it's people running a cross country race, whatever it is, we tend to think of the finish line. When we think of a race, more than anything else, we think of the finish. Well, this Jeremiah wants us to think about God's love as, as a race, but God's covenantal love keeps on running. It, it keeps on going. It never reaches a point where there's a finish line. It never reaches a point where it's no more. So in other words, if, if you're here today, if you've trusted Christ, understand that God's love doesn't stop. That from, from all eternity, the Father set his heart on you. And from all eternity, he chose to make you his own. And then in time and space, he came and he announced his plan to do that. In Genesis 3.15, in the midst of the fall of Adam and Eve, he told Eve, I'm going to raise up a descendant of you. And that descendant is going to come and he's going to crush the head of the, of the, of the serpent. He's going, to, he's going to be my redeemer who's going to save people and, and gather unto myself a people. And then he raised up Abraham. And through Abraham, he established a nation through whom that savior would come. And said, he said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And through you, all the world will be blessed. Why? Because the savior would come through Abraham's descendants. He, he delivered those people from Egypt, as we saw last week. And when, when the people rebelled against God in the wilderness, and they brought God to a point, as it were, that God said to Moses, I think I'm going to destroy the whole people and start over again with you. In Numbers 14, 19, Moses fell before God and this was his prayer. He said, God, would you remember your covenantal love? Would you remember your covenantal love that does not end and God said, I will. And he led his people and he settled them in Canaan under Joshua. Then he established David on the throne and he promised David that one of his descendants would sit on the throne forever. Through the prophets, he announced his plan that though we like sheep have gone astray, God would lay all of our sin upon him. And so in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who were under the law. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the father. And though Herod at his birth and Satan in the wilderness and the religious leaders throughout his ministry and Pilate at his death tried desperately to stop the plan of God. Jesus Christ earning righteousness that will stand forever, going to the cross and making a covenant on our behalf with the Father and paying for our sin and victoriously rising from the grave has secured the eternal relationship with God that he has planned for all eternity for all those who will trust in him. Fred Sanders put it this way. The eternal son has become the incarnate son in order to bring the adopted sons into a relationship with God. 
That's what God's covenantal love has done. And then he wants to pour out the blessings of that covenant on his people. So at Pentecost, he poured out his spirit who comes and indwells us and secures us and sanctifies us and empowers us and teaches us and seals us until the day of redemption. So we, living under the covenantal love of God, live with hope because we know all things work together for good to those who are loved by God and called, how? According to his purpose. And we die with hope, knowing that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when those of our loved ones die, we grieve, but not without hope, because we know they're in heaven and we live anticipating the return of our victorious Savior who will establish a new heaven and a new earth where we will know the fullness of his covenantal love and there will be no end. His covenantal love never ceases. So Jeremiah is telling us the Lord's hand may be heavy upon you right now. We may be in a time of incredible difficulty, but that's not an indicator that God's love has failed. Rather, it's a demonstration that he loves us too much to allow us to settle for less than him. His love is eternal. Verse 22, he also tells us that he is a God of enduring compassion. He says his mercies never come to an end. Now the word, the word mercies is probably best understood as compassion because it's a, it's a word that would speak of a, a mother's feelings for her baby. It, it expresses the deep devotion that nourishes and nurtures, that, that protects and provides. So a mom is sleeping at night and she hears her baby crying out in fear. What is that mom gonna do? That mom is gonna get up and she's gonna go and lovingly hold her baby. She's gonna feed her baby. She's gonna pat her baby. She's gonna rock her baby. She's gonna sing lullabies to her baby. And she's gonna hurt when her child hurts in difficult times. She's gonna feel for her child in sorrowful times. She's gonna fight for her child in adverse times. And if you ask a mom, why in the world are you doing this? Why are you singing lullabies through the night? Why are you feeling such pain when your child is going through difficulty? They're gonna look at you like a, gate, a cow looking at a new gate. Like, are you crazy? I'm a mom. That's what moms do. And Jeremiah is saying, listen, God has that sense of, of compassionate care for his people, for you and for me. And, and, and it never comes to an end. That is, it's, it's never spent. It's never exhausted. It is sufficient and full every day. So, so God's compassion, it's, it's not like a piece of pie. And we have a piece of pie and no matter how small we cut the pieces of pie, everybody in here is not gonna get some. It's a finite amount and eventually the pie is gonna run out. God's compassion is not like that. It's, it's more like the widow of Zarephath's oil when Elisha went to her house and, and said, I want you to make me a cake. And she said, I, I just have enough flour and oil to make one cake. I'm gonna make it for me and my son. And Elisha said, no, make it for me and your oil will not run out until the famine ends. 
And no matter how many jars that widow could collect, the oil came fresh and new every day, filling up every vessel and giving her the comfort and strength that she needs. So listen, some of you are here today. If we pulled back the mask, the reality is that you're carrying very heavy burdens. And some of you, even now, are probably thinking, I don't know what I'm gonna do tomorrow. I, I don't know how I'm gonna make it through tomorrow. I feel like I'm spent. And some of you are gonna sit down on your bed tonight and you're gonna think one more straw is gonna break the camel's back. I've used up all my strength and I'm done. And you're gonna to go to bed and toss and turn, asking yourself, what is tomorrow going to bring? Well, listen, I don't say this lightheartedly. I'm not cavalier when I say this. I'm as serious and somber as I can be. I can tell you tomorrow is going to bring a brand new serving of the never used up compassion of God. And we can go to bed tonight and sleep in peace because when we get up, God is gonna be at our bedside with the compassion we need for tomorrow. We're gonna go to the breakfast table and God's gonna be there serving up the compassion that we need tomorrow. So when I get up, God will be waiting and his compassion will never run out. But God is saying to Jeremiah, because my love is eternal, you will go home again. And until you go home again, I will provide you with all that you need to live faithfully for me every day. A Christian, this is our source of hope. That God has an eternal plan and in his love, he will bring us home. We will be glorified. We will receive all of the blessings secured by Jesus. We will rejoice with life eternal forever. And until that day, every day that we get up, like a mom caring for her child, God will provide in our heartaches, in our loss, in our hardship, everything that we need. And this is why we live with hope. Because we have been awakened to the sufficient compassion of God, whose love is eternal. Now, verse 22, we need to go a step further because verse 22 tells us we hope in God because God is a God of eternal love and enduring compassion. But verse 23 introduces us to this phrase, great is your faithfulness. So here's the third truth that, that the God of eternal love and the God of enduring compassion is the God of extreme faithfulness. So faithfulness carries the idea of being steadfast, being stable, consistent, and true. So, so God keeps his word. He, he does what he says. He is what he is. Essentially, the fact that God is faithful means he's, he's true to his character. He acts consistently with his attributes. He is consistent with who he professes to be. There will never be a day when we think, well, boy, God woke up on the wrong side of the bed. He's not acted that way before. No, he is who he is. And he's also true to his word. He keeps his promises. He fulfills his word. He never lies. He never speaks anything but truth. 
I think if we polled the room, I think everybody in here would say, I, I, I wanna be a person of integrity. I think all of us would say, we, we strive to live with, with honesty. But, but if we're honest, I, I have to say there, there are a lot of times when I've not done what I promised. And I, I can remember sadly, a lot of times when I've told my kids, I, I'll do this for you and, and I didn't do it. Sometimes I, I didn't have the strength to do it. Sometimes I didn't have the money to do it. Sometimes I didn't have the time to do it. Sometimes I forgot. Honestly, sometimes I was lazy and selfish. But the reality is I fail to be all that I aspire to be. And I fail to do everything that I say I'll do. Not so with God. God is what he is always. God does what he wills always. God keeps his word always. God never forgets. God never forsakes. God never fails because he is faithful and true. Several weeks ago, I was out here at the coffee shop. Now look, I don't know who this girl was, so I'm not, I'm not making fun of her because I don't know who she was. And you don't know either. And I'm not judging. I was getting coffee. So, you know, they got all this stuff over there. And uh, this, this girl had her a cup of coffee and she put one of everything there was. You know, there's, there's almond flavor and hazelnut flavor and vanilla flavor and, and there's original and there's half and half. There's a bunch of stuff. She was putting one of everything in her coffee. I didn't say anything, but I thought, that's really odd. <laughs> you know, when, when, when I go to the coffee shop, you know, they always ask the question. They always say, do, do you want me to leave room for cream? I'm like, that's such a strange question. Like I'm buying coffee. Why would I want room for non-coffee? I mean, if I wanted non-coffee, I wouldn't be buying coffee. So I'm like, no, I don't want you to leave room for non-coffee. I, I want you to fill it up to the rim with coffee. And, and if it's possible, let it overflow. That's what I want. I don't want you to leave room for cream. Well, listen, God, God's faithfulness is like that. God's faithfulness rises to the rim and then it, it overflows. It, it, is, it is abundant. It's overflowing. It's immense. It's infinite. And, and so Jeremiah is saying, look, here's hope that, that God is a God of eternal love and enduring compassion and a God of extreme faithfulness. And here's the source of our hope an extremely abundantly faithful God who is true to his nature, eternally loves his people. An extremely abundantly overflowing faithful God who is true to his word, enduringly cares for his people. That's our source of hope. Whether it's a dark stormy night or a bright sunny day, we have a God with an eternal plan who every day is there to meet our needs and will do so forever because his faithfulness is running over. Now, can I just quickly close with some steps to hope? 
because I, I, want, you to, I want you to be mindful of this. What, what can help us out? What can help us to hope in every season? Now, I'm, I'm not saying this is how you earn hope. Hope is God. And hope is God because of his love, his compassion, his faithfulness. But what will help me to focus on that? Okay, very quickly, four words. Number one is realize that he's enough. This is what Jeremiah is saying in verse 24. Realize he's enough because if we're honest in times of difficulty, it's very easy for us to gravitate to things other than God. When we find ourselves in difficulty, it's very easy to think, I can work my way out of this. I can pay my way out of this. I can figure this out in my own strength and my own power. And Jeremiah says, no, that's, that's not the beginning point. The beginning point is to say, it's as though there's nothing but God and God is enough. So realize he is enough and he is enough. And he is enough because of his love and compassion and faithfulness. And secondly, Remember what he's done. This is what Jeremiah does in verse 21. He says, but I call this to mind. In the midst of difficulty, what does he do? He begins to remember the things that God has done. It's like he's saying, wait a minute, if God is gonna judge us for our sins, why is he doing that? Because he promised to do it. He's faithful to his word. Well, if he's faithful to his word to judge sin, that means he's faithful to his word to keep us and protect us and walk with us. So he remembers the promises of God and nothing's more important than the gospel. Remember the gospel because it is in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we see the faithfulness and the compassion and the love of God manifested in a way never else seen. We can look in all of history, we can look at all of the scripture. If we wanna see the eternal love of God, we see it in the cross and resurrection of Jesus. If we wanna see the compassion and the faithfulness of God, we see it in the plan of God culminating in the cross and resurrection of Jesus. When we think about the gospel, we understand that our, our standing before God is not based on who we are. It's not determined by the circumstances of our life. The gospel shows us the love and favor and grace of God that gives us right standing with God, not because of who we are or what we've done, not because of what we're going through, but because of Jesus. So remember that, remember the gospel. The third word is run, run after him now. In verse 25, he says, God is good to those who seek him. God's work is not all past tense. His love doesn't stop. So he calls for us to pursue him and to seek him, to continually abide in his love. So if we wanna be focused on God as the source of our hope, we've gotta to run to him and spend time with him. Give time to his word, give time to prayer. Be faithful in hearing the proclamation of the word of God. Be faithful to fellowship with God's people. We need to remember what he's done and run to him and enjoy him. Come into his presence every day and receive the blessings, not that he gives the blessing of himself. Run to him, he's good to those who seek him. And then finally, we just need to learn to rest in his faithfulness. If, if we can realize he's our only hope and remember that manifested in the gospel and run to him and spend time with him, then his peace is gonna flood our soul and we can find rest, rest in his faithfulness. This, this story has a, has a really good ending. Daniel, the prophet, is sitting around reading one day. He's one of the captives in Babylon. And Daniel is reading the prophet Jeremiah. And he comes across a verse in Jeremiah, Jeremiah's prophecy 
where God says the captivity is going to last 70 years. And you can almost see Daniel's mind beginning to look 10, 20, 30, 50, 60, 70. Wait a minute, 70 years. And all of a sudden, Daniel is filled with this hope. But God said it's going to be 70 years and 70 years is here. So I, I may not be able to see everything, but, but we're going home. We're going home. And Daniel rested in the promise of God because he understood that God was faithful. That's where God wants us today. As we, as we close here in just a moment, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna stand and sing. And I just, I just wanna call you, I wanna encourage you to, to know that no matter how dark or stormy the night might be, God is faithful and his love will not stop his compassion will not be consumed. You can rest in his faithfulness. And as we sing, if we can pray for you, um, or if you wanna come and pray, we would invite you to do that. Would you join me and let's, let's pray.